All right. Welcome to ArgMax, a show about machine learning papers where the three of us read and discuss papers that interest us in depth. By probing the details and asking questions, we hope to uncover the subtle insights and future areas of exploration. My name is Taka Hasegawa. I'm Vahe Hagopian. And I'm Farouk Rahman. All right, welcome to this uh, new and exciting chapter of um, ArgMax. Starting this episode, we're going to do video um, uh, because we've had a lot of good feedback from listeners uh, that said, you know, they uh, it's really interesting to hear us talk about these papers, but what would be more interesting would be to actually uh, see the papers as well. So uh, starting with this episode, we're going to have video. We're probably going to do podcasts as well. So you can also uh, listen to the audio only feed, but uh, we'll try to post this on YouTube as well so that uh, people can follow along with, with us looking at the papers and uh, possibly doodling on the papers and, and things like that. So with that, uh, for this episode, we have Laura, which stands for Low Rank Adaptation of Large Language Models uh, by Edward Hu et al. from Microsoft uh, Corporation. Um, Vahe, do you want to start us off with a quick summary of the paper? Sure. Yeah, so the motivation for, for this paper um, was the increasing size of large language models. And uh, as a result of that, what happens is typically what, uh, with these really large uh, large language models, they're, they're foundation models, which means um, they're trained on a huge, broad uh, scope of data, like internet scale amount of data. And that allows it to kind of do anything, many, many tasks um, across the spectrum. Uh, but typically to be really, really good, as opposed to just mediocre at one of these tasks, you need to fine tune the model for that task. Um, but because these models are so huge, Fine tuning is is a big project in in and of itself. So if it took like a couple months to train the model, you, you want to train all those fine tune all those parameters again. It might take another couple months, and that's just not feasible. Um, especially if you want to, um, uh, if if you're updating the original model and you want to keep doing this over and over, if you want to use this model for many downstream tasks, it's just not um, computationally feasible. So people have looked into other ways of uh, instead of actually fine-tuning all the parameters of other ways to increase the performance of the foundation model on a specific task. Um, so they talk about, in the paper, they talk about kind of the methods that were, that are, were currently used uh, in practice. And one of them is adding, uh, maybe fine-tuning just the top layer of the model or the top few, few layers. Uh, you can do that, and then fine-tuning is faster, but you suffer... Uh, performance, the performance you gain by fine-tuning is not as good as it would have been if you fine-tuned the entire model, obviously, right? Um, because you're only uh, fine-tuning part one layer, let's say. Um, there's also uh, solutions where they add an adapter on top of the foundation model and they just train that. And a disadvantage of that is that it adds latency during inference because now your, your model is deeper than it was. Um, another uh, Another thing you can do is actually not um, add any more parameters, but just work on prompt engineering. You know, maybe adding, uh, depending on how well you 
you structure your prompt, you might get a better answer for the task that you're interested in. Or uh, there's something called uh, prefix tuning where um, you add tokens before you actually specify the like what you want the task itself or the question for the task. You add a bunch of tokens that aren't actually real tokens in the sense that they're part of the task, but they're kind of parameters that you train, but they're part of the, the input itself. And that actually works very well, but the problem is now you kind of decrease the token length. So if there was like a max token length, you've used part of that up with your with your prefix. So there's all these kind of pros and cons to the, to the current approaches to avoid having to retrain the entire foundation model, which is really slow. And what this paper does is it, it finds a very ingenious solution, simple solution. Um, it, uh, if we, Taka, if you scroll up to the first page, yeah, there's a diagram there. We can maybe zoom in on that. That um, basically what they do is they, you, you can think of each layer of the, of the pre-trained model as being this matrix of weights, which is in blue. So in this kind of in this illustration, uh, the weight the weights reside in this d by d matrix. So you have like d squared parameters, and um, and this is one layer, and this is kind of repeated for all the layers of of if it's like a transformer, it might have ten tens of layers, right? And um, and what they do is they um, create these new matrices, uh, which are a and b in this diagram. Uh, these matrices, they're not D by D, they're D by R. And R can be as small as one. So in, in the most extreme case, you actually have a vector. You have this D by R vector, and then B will be an R by D vector. So it's just like this kind of one-dimensional matrix. Or you can make R a little bit bigger, like two or three. But the point is that um, the total number of parameters in A and B is much, much smaller. Instead of for example, d squared, it might be two times d if, if each of those two vectors is d by one or and one by d. Um, so if we kind of uh, talk about some real numbers, let's say um, let's say you have a million parameter model. So d would be, and let's say it's just one layer, d would be a thousand. So a thousand times a thousand is a million, right? Um, in this case, if r is one, a and b would each be a thousand by one sized vector. So we, where, whereas the original layer had a million parameters, A and B together only have 2,000 parameters, 1,000 plus 1,000. So that's like a, what, like a 500x reduction in parameters. Anyway, what they do with these two matrices is they feed the input to the layer into both the actual original layer weight parameters so that the actual original layer and into this new matrix A, these new parameters, which has the same width as the original one. Um, but they create this new matrix, which is the outer product of the two vectors A and B. So if you if you think of A as, as a D by one matrix, let's say, and B as a one by D matrix, if you multiply these matrices out, you actually get a D by D matrix, even though you only have 2D parameters, you still get D squared parameters. It's just the actual space of the, the actual space that this information is living on is much smaller than the full dimension D squared. And by doing this, so, so they feed the input data into both the original weights and this A, B concatenation. 
And then they sum the outputs of both of these. And they train, they retrain the model, but only adjusting the parameters of A and B. And they end up getting comparable performance to a full fine tuning. And the reason, basically, the, we can we can talk about this um, later going into the paper. But um, generally speaking, the reason, the motivation for them to even try this was that um, there have been papers published that show that the actual kind of the the embeddings, the information that 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 is contained in these in these models, in these transformer models, live on a very low dimensional subspace of the actual parameter dimension of the parameter space. And they so they suspected maybe the changes due to fine tuning also live on the low dimensional subspace. Maybe we don't need that many parameters and to get like most or all of the of the benefit of fine tuning. And uh, yeah, that's basically the idea. Cool. Just a, a one thing I wanted to add about this figure one is um, <clears throat> so the A and B matrices they have B equals zero and A equals uh, normal distribution centered around zero. Um, this is the initialization. Um, so uh, I was initially wondering, like, zero initialization, that's kind of weird because um, deep learning doesn't work with zero initialized parameters. But I realized that uh, because of that outer product, if you do A outer product B, even if Diagonal B is zero matrix. initialized, it will be okay, right? Like, it, it'll it'll become trainable. So does that mean that the param some parameters become zero? If we do matrix multiply A times B? Well, so it's like A cross B. Uh, what did we say times? It's like outer product. Uh, uh, so I guess if you're initializing everything to zero, it's going to be all zeros, isn't it? Regardless of what A is? A is A is like normal distribution centered around zero. So A is not all zeros, but B is all zeros. If you if you just if you actually did a matrix multiplication of a D by one matrix by multiplied by a one by D matrix where the one by D matrix is all zeros, you will get zeros for all the entries. Oh really? So so yeah, so so that's not that's not what's going on. That can't be what's going on here. I guess I guess the addition then takes care of it. Like as one, yes, maybe because like if it's all zeros, the backpropagation starts to diverge, right? That's that's one of the um, things about initialization in in uh, neural networks. Like you don't want to have all zeros as parameters. But yeah, I guess you, the addition... you ask it, you ask a good question that I I don't have the answer for you. Let's see if we can figure out what's going on here. I think it. I think the reason they do this um, is because it, it, it's what Taka said. The addition is what's going to take care of this. Uh, really, what they're approximating with the uh, a times b is the change, right? Just the so the change, portion. yeah. The change is always going to start at zero. It's, it should always start at zero. But shouldn't you be it, shouldn't you be adding something that's non-zero? Well, when they compute the gradients in the backwards press, 
after so in the first forward pass the um in the first forward pass you're going to use the pre-trained weights in the backwards this, this pass, part becomes nullified yeah in correct. the first pass correct and serious. then and then the gradient should take care of it in the in, in the um it, the reason why i guess this works i you know i know there's like um there's some reasons why you don't initialize your parameters to zero, right? Um, uh, but uh, typically you don't want to initialize your parameters to zero, but uh, um, it, it's not the parameters we're initializing to zero, it's the parameters of the estimate of the gradient that we're initializing to zero. Hmm. The change basically, right? The change yeah. in the weights that we're initializing to zero. So I that think that's sense. the, yeah. So only right after the first pass, B is going to be filled with non-zero values, right? Well, um, I guess I, I guess I guess um, going back to like the the um, the reason for the like the the purpose of this, what you have some models, so so you have some weights, right? And we want to fine tune this model, but there's too many weights. Um, and in order to fine tune it, we have memory constraints, all these constraints, there's just too much. So what we're doing is we're, we're introducing parameters. And where are we introducing these parameters? Is it for every, for all the parameters? Is it for all the linear layers where? Yeah, uh, so, so I, I believe they, you can do it for every layer, but I believe they only do it for the transformer layers. Um, yeah, so I think they only do it for the, the attention layers. The attention layers. So it's like the the key query and uh, value projection matrices, right? Or the projection weights. I believe that's the case. If you, um, um, yeah. I, and, I was going to say if you go to if you go to section seven, you can see um, specific. But in theory, you could do it for every layer, right? Or Right. You could do it for, yeah, I mean, in theory, you could do it for at least every linear layer pretty trivially. Yeah, trivially. If, we, if we look at that table five, you can see that, um, so W sub Q, W sub K, these are these are different. Uh, yeah, different those layers. are the attention matrices. Those are the attention yeah. matrices, right? So, so WQ is for the query. So you can see in the first, if you only add these parameters, uh, these change parameters to the double, like the query matrices in the entire, um, in the entire, uh, I guess all for all the transformer layers, you you don't get as 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 well as if you did, um, the queries, the keys, the values, and the output. Yeah, if you that notice, kind of combines the the like the the different heads, you know, the, right. the multi-head attention. Right. Yeah. If you notice on this table, they they set R equal to eight. For this experiment, and R is the inner dimension for the for the outer product. It's like it's what's making this much smaller than the real param parameter set, right? And they it, they fix R to eight for this particular experiment. So when they're only doing like W sub Q, they use the full R equals eight. But when they use when they do two different matrices, they cut the R in half. And so they're kind of fixing the number of parameters that they need to train. But oh, they still but they still yeah, exactly. But they still get better results. So what they found is the more you, the more um, 
parameters you train. Even if you make R really skinny, even if you make these new matrices really skinny, and <clears throat> you're better off training more, actually training more layers, as opposed to like heavily training one layer with a lot of parameters. Interesting. Uh, effectively, that's like uh, you can you can make uh, you, basically you can make a small change to all, uh, more parameters in in like a single vector direction, right? So so really, if r is equal to two, that means that means there's two. You if I give you two vectors, you can span like the full the full vector space of like. The important, uh, the important uh, subspace uh, that matters. Yeah, 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 that matters, right? So yeah. it's like, uh, um, th that basically says there's like a two-dimensional space uh, I, in terms I think of they, like the change that you can I, make. Right? I, I think they found that eight was needed for GPT-3. Um, they do, I think they do several models. They do GPT-2 also. I'm curious to see what they use for, because they mentioned in their introduction that sometimes R equals one or two is sufficient. But I think for, for GPT-3, they used R equal to 8. Conduct a similar experiment on GPT-2 in section H.2. Effective of R in GPT-2 using N10 NLG challenge. The optimal rank for GPT-2 medium is between 4 and 16, mm -hmm. which is similar to GPT-3. Interesting. Hmm. Okay, so let's get back to how this thing actually works because there was that addition thing that we talked about that I just wanted to get a better understanding about. So um, what are we doing? Our method is H is the output. So yeah. what we're saying is W0x, so this is GPT-3. Right. Yeah, you can think of that fixed. as fixed. Yeah. And then delta Wx is that, delta W is what comes out of B cross product A. Exactly. <clears throat> if you multiply those two um, matrices, you, you get delta W. Yeah, it's an approximation of it, right? Yeah. So BA is an approximation of delta W or what delta W should be for fine tuning. <laughs> and so we it, use a Gaussian it's, it's, initialization. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's what you were talking about. So that part you're reading, go right. ahead. We use a Gaussian initialization for A and zero for B. So delta W equals B A is zero at the beginning of training. So, so yeah, it, it seems simple enough, right? So we're just going to change the output of our initial GPT-3 by delta W, where delta W is also, so if GPT-3 is 175 billion, it means that Delta W is also, becomes 175 no, billion, right? It's only, it's only the parameter, it's only for the parameters. So the WK, WQ, W, uh, whichever oh, parameters you pick. Yeah. So it's not okay. everything. 
well, they're not training everything, but I think tacos, uh, whatever layer you're at, let's say you're on one layer of GPT-3 and that layer has, let's say, uh, 1 billion parameters. Um, Delta W will be one, 1 billion because it's the outer product. But but the actual tunable parameters will only be maybe a couple million. Right? Yeah, correct. It depends. Thousand. Correct. So it depends. Yeah, like which layer you're on. But it's not. They did in their method. It's not the full. But they're not training uh, every it's, layer. It's right. not the full size because at that point you're doing full, that. You might as well do full fine tuning. Maybe. You still have far fewer parameters, right? I guess he, like I guess you you let's say if it was 175 billion yeah like you do have fewer parameters. Uh, um, I, they yeah, mentioned I that guess, they, they mentioned yeah. that GPT three has something like uh, do you know the exact number? It was like 90 layers or 80 layers, somewhere in the paper. Um, something on the order of like 90 or 95 layers. So I guess they're only training a small subset of that. Well, it's a small subset of that, and each layer. Uh, so it de also depends on what we, what we say by layer. Um, it's it's most likely they mean like a uh, like a transformer layer, and a transformer layer is composed of many sub layers, right? Like mm -hmm. the transformer module. Um, uh, so it depends when we say when they say if they say I, I don't know if it is. Um, I think it's ninety six layers. Uh, I think for um or something like that from what i remember but um uh yeah i don't like when they say layers um they might mean transformer layers uh and then and then in each transformer layer you have multiple weight layers because you have wq wk wv um then you have the self-attention and then you have um you know you take you have the multiple heads and then you have the output layer that takes the multiple heads and, um, uh, you know, perhaps combines them. Right. Um, so it depends on which layers or which even within a, tra a layer, a transformer layer, which aspects of that layer they choose to apply this to. Got it. So this is how inference works. Inference seems pretty straightforward. How does well, inference is the cool work? thing here, right? So, so inference is kind also kind of uh, advantage because let's say you were doing adapters, or let's say uh, you were doing the prefix tuning, as Vahe said, you have some inefficient inefficiencies in terms of um, if you were doing an adapter, you have more parameters. Now you need to fit this larger model and the adapter in memory. Uh, if you're using prefix tuning, your context length is lower versus uh, this method where you only have to, like you are loading in more, uh, you know, more parameters, but well, actually technically, no, you don't, you don't even have to load more parameters because you've made updates to the, to, to the weight, right? So it's the same memory footprint. So there, it's not loading any more parameters. Your inference is actually the same size as the original model. No, no, but be careful there. So I think I think that's why they're careful not to mention memory in this paper. I think the memory footprint is going to increase. Be the same. Why would it increase? Because they're not they're not they're not messing with the original parameters of GPT three, right? W zero X is 
Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see, I see, right? I see, I see. And then they have I see. BA on the side. So memory I see. footprint, I think, is going to be close to whatever. So they they, like... they they mentioned that there's that that the the number of trainable parameters in their GPT three case is about one ten thousandth of the number of parameters in GPT three. So there's going to be a little extra memory, but it's a small fraction of. I see. So I actually, I actually, uh, there was actually a slight misconception uh, I had with their method, which was, um, I thought they were using that to update the weights, like because right. if once yeah, you approximate that's... it, you can you can do the addition and just store that. Mm, but that's what I thought. But they're too. doing but something. Yeah, they're, not... they're doing something a little bit smarter. I mean, in some ways, it's a bit smarter. Is they're storing the original weight and then they're storing this uh, yeah. Laura uh laura thinks separately because the i guess you know as vi said if it's just like a, a million more parameters what it's not like you know it's it, inconsequential it, it's not yeah it's all it's it's near inconsequential so this way the original weights are intact so you can actually have multiple laura weights for different tasks right and whenever exactly. you want a new task you just have to load those additional millionth weights rather than having to load a new model. So I think- So from yeah, I buy, I buy that yeah. B cross product A, I mean, B and A in isolation, especially if R is small, is gonna be small, like one, one ten thousandth. But once they do the cross product here, it'll become big again, right? Because- It's exact, it exactly the same B. W, yeah, exactly the same size as W sub zero. So my question is at training time, don't they need to be dealing with the D by D matrix to do backpropagation or can they back? By the way, is through... it, it's, I don't think it's a cross product. I think we've been saying cross product. Isn't it just an inner product? Uh, uh, outer product. Well, inner is product it... would be, inner product would be, I'm would really yield a scalar. You, you'd be just, you'd be, you'd be taking. Yeah, but is it, isn't B, isn't B, isn't B like a W by uh, R and A uh, R by uh, R by if you define yeah, it that yeah. way, then then it's just a matrix multiplication. You're right. But yeah. if you define them both as, as vectors, as like just just vectors, sure. not matrices, sure. then you sure. you'd say you're you're taking the outer product of the two sure. vectors. Sure. Um, so yeah, in the R equals one case, but in the R equals two case, it's a matrix. But, but Taka, to your question, maybe they're doing something clever, like in terms of implementation, where they're they they're doing that matrix multiplication in a clever way. That's a good question. Like, are they? If they're only storing the two vectors, how are they doing that addition, right? Yes, and how are they doing the training? Oh, what do you mean? Like, uh, how are they? How are they do? How are they uh, doing the the addition? Well, the addition is component wise addition, right? So the original frozen weights is d by d. There's d squared frozen weights. And yeah. you need to add, so you need to do D squared additions because you're doing component-wise right. addition, Correct. but you only have 2D parameters you're tuning. So there has to be some computation being done. Either you're storing D squared weights, you're either you're doing that outer product or you're doing some computation so that you can compute the D squared weights that need to be added to the original weights, right? Yeah, go back to figure one um, for a second, Taka. So. I guess I want to completely try to understand your question. I think I get it, but um, you're basically saying that. Uh, um, so we want to backpropagate through the orange, right? Correct. But 
I'm, I don't think we can just back propagate through A and B. Like we need A times B to come come up with that D by D matrix and then back propagate through that D by D matrix. Well, so here's how I would, this is going to be hacky, but here's how I would implement it is you can implement that as a linear layer with pre-selected weights, right? If 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 you if you decompose that as a you know A and B, you can compose that back into a weight matrix. So so just uh, um, you know well once you have the two once you have the two matrices, just create a linear layer and set the initial values to to the the matrix multiplication of the of the two. Okay. Do they talk about any training stuff in this paper? Yeah, I think training is pretty straightforward, right? I mean, you could you could also store it as di as different matrices, but I would think that uh, training is very pretty straightforward because all the other there is no gradient associated with the other parameters. Yeah, I wish they would show me step by step like this is how the loss is calculated and, and whatnot. Well, I guess the loss could be anything. The loss is is kind of loss agnostic, right? The loss could be anything. So, Taka, if you look at um page four, you can read uh, read that bottom paragraph. No additional inference latency. Talks a little bit about. What we were talking when about. deployed in production, we can explicitly compute and store W equals W0 plus BA and perform inference as usual. Note that both W0 and B are in, are in rank D times K. When we need to switch another transcript, we recover W0 by subtracting BA and then adding another B dash. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Okay. This so is, this, actually, is, this is for inference. This is for inference, though. But it looks yeah. like they're they're multiplying it out for inference, right? Yeah. But uh, but this is what I was saying actually is they are just adding it. So you get a new weight and an inference. Yeah. So so okay. there is no memory overhead at all. You're right. For inference, right? Don't you need mem Don't you need to store BNA? Well, you will need to store them at some point. Um, to do the addition, but when you're actually doing inference, you can you can add it to W zero. So you have you only need to store W. Um, like, uh, you basically to initialize the model, you need to you need to store you need you need the W uh, B and A right. Mm -hmm. But you can just once you've once you've done the addition, you no longer need B and A. Right, but at that point, it, it's it's already. It doesn't cost. matter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well, I I feel like there are, there's ways to make that work because let's say you are constrained to exactly W memory, hmm. you could you could make this work because you could just do it like iteratively. You could do the addition iteratively, so you don't need to store all W parameters at once. You you need to. Uh, no, but when 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 you when you do back propagation second and third time, you this is inference. There is no back prop. Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm thinking about training. Yeah. 
So is that the same thing? Is this mathematically the same thing? Adding adding parameters is the same thing as adding results. Well, well, it's it's the same thing because uh, that they're using BNA to approximate the delta W. Yeah, you can just it's just law of distribute. Yeah, uh, distributive law. You just you can factor out x there, and then you sum those you sum W zero plus BNA, and and it's just treated as if it was one matrix. So Taka, think of it this oh, way: cool. when you start off with a, a a model and you're doing transfer learning. The original weights are W zero or W naught, right? Um, after you do full fine tuning, it's going to be W naught plus the accumulated gradient changes, right? Right. Um, right. So you're so what they're saying is, can we approximate at the end of fine tuning what those changes to the weights should be, right? And mm -hmm. they're learning what those changes should be, so that. For for us for some with respect to some given downstream task, right? So like, what are how do you adapt the original parameters to transfer to this other task? And they're approximating hmm. that using the weights. So B and A, you can kind of like store for a given task, and then when you want to do that task, you can take say, hey, I have GPT three, or I have this model. Let's just add those. Add what I think the changes for this task should be. And and then you know there you have no additional uh, inference memory footprint, right? Um, and at the same time, when you're storing this, let's say let's say you you know you have ten different tasks. If you did full fine tuning, you would need to store weights for each task. If you did full fine tuning, and it would how many weights would it be? If it was GPT three, it would be 175 billion weights for each task. Versus now you can store the GPT three weights and you store uh, B by A weights. Which is for like each one task, ten thousandth of the which is GPT like three weights. yeah, right. For each task. So then and then all you're doing is adding to it, right? So this is what uh, the, the you know, this makes this is why they're talking about this uh, not only inference, but like it's also just memory product, uh, memory footprint when storing models like different that have been fine tuned on different tasks. Mm. Storage requirements also, right? I guess that's what we were talking about. That's very cool. Okay, so you were right. Yeah, very little memory overhead. Now it says the GPU. Okay. The GPU memory requirement is cut by a factor of three. Do you know where they get that from? Uh, so I think, uh, where, where are you reading that? Is it this 4.2? Uh, well, their abstract has it and I'm sure they have it. I think it's 4.2. If I, uh, if that's what you're talking about, this is during training. So what happens during training, during training, uh, if you go back to that equation, uh, equation three, um, all those weights are W's W naught is fixed right um you only have b by a parameters in fact you have less because of the whole rank uh because uh, of the whole rank uh, uh thing you have uh um like w by r times two i guess or something like that uh yeah so uh you have 
you have a lot fewer parameters. So also because of that, you have fewer gradient optimized, like optimizer parameters. Optimizer has to store the gradients. So in comparison to full fine tuning, you also have to store fewer gradient param parameters as well. So when you combine all of that, when it, you know the optimizer and the weights, um, when compared with having to do full fine tuning on that layer, it's going to be like I would say significantly less memory. Um, yeah, so like right there, they say uh, VRAM usage by two thirds if R is less than less than D. If R is le a lot less than D and they shrink it from 1.2 terabytes to 350 gigabytes. Yeah. If R is equal to D, it would be the same, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The checkpoint size is, is what's reduced by a factor of 10,000 from 350 gigabytes to 35 megabytes. Because that's basically the prime number of parameters. Yeah, so I think when they say checkpoint, um, it's the model parameters, and uh, it might also be the optimizer state. Because um, like sometimes it'll actually save the optimizer state, so it'll have like what the learning rate was, uh, and things like that. So it might be, yeah, comp comprised of like all those all those um, all those extra parameters that you don't need to save anymore. But that's 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 crazy that it's by like an order of magnitude. Oh, this lower. is interesting too. In in that end of that paragraph, they say that actually training is twenty five percent faster than if you than if you were fine tuning. Because yeah. not all not all the gradient not all parameters are getting gradient updates. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Uh, um, for the same reason that you're that you're uh, using less VRAM when you do when you know you're updating a lot fewer parameters, so um, it's going to be a significantly faster to train. This kind of reminds me of um, there's a paper called the lottery ticket hypothesis. Uh, where you, they took a fully trained MLP and they pruned it using using certain criteria like uh, uh, weights that maybe were smaller than a certain threshold and were and the and the resulting much smaller tree maybe ten percent or fifteen percent of the size was able to get just as high of an accuracy as the original model, meaning that. Kind of the important information stored in the model was only stored on fifteen percent of of the parameters, and this is kind of saying, look, there's like all these huge models. We don't really need. We kind of need the size to get the good solution, but that size actually is not necessary to store the information that's that's being <laughs> that's be that's needed. It's it that information is living on a very small subspace of the actual well dimension of the model. Yeah, so I think there is there is some there is like I think there's like uh Linformer or some other papers that um perhaps use that uh, use that like um more explicitly to make the self-attention matrix uh 
like it's like quadratic right it's like an n squared it, it, or it's a um yeah it's a quadratic like it's an n squared operation with whatever where n is like your sequence length um so the longer your sequence the the larger your self-attention matrix is uh so i think there's like some work around that but here i think i, I it, it's a good connection uh to the to that um lottery ticket hypothesis but uh here i think they're saying that once you have a once you're in a good like local minima um for a different task which which really means like it's still natural language but it's a different task so it's a different optimization surface but the op like the two optimization surfaces are somewhat correlated such that to get from one to the other to tr transform like one last surface to the other is like some low rank transformation or something, right? Well, everything's uh, low rank. Like the actual original foundation model, the pre-trained model is low rank. And also the change that you're talking about, like like adapting to a particular task, that change is also low rank. I think both yeah. are low rank. Like they just both happen to be- Well, uh, if, it, if, it was, if it was like truly, if it was truly low rank, you could you you wouldn't need 175 billion parameters. That's the problem. Could, That's the problem. Uh, you do you you it, just like in the lot, lottery ticket hypothesis paper, you don't need you don't need you only need 15 percent of the size, but you can never get that 15 percent size. Yeah, you can't initially. Train. You yeah, can't you can't yeah. you can't train a, a model yeah, that's 15 the size. Yeah. You got to train a huge model and then prune it down. So yeah, I'm curious if anybody has done that for these transformers. Pro I transformers? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Another cool thing, I think, in this passage is the fact that, you know, because of that fact that, you know, um, this is just uh, in addition to the w naught or the, the initial frozen pre-trained weights, it's easy to swap in and out on the fly. So yeah. you can be like, you know, if you want to change from summarization to Q and A, you just subtract the the delta W of summarization and add in the delta W of question yeah, answering. I mean, it, it seems like cool. this is a game changer because, you know, like pro people probably didn't realize how important this is because it's kind of snuck up on us. Like models have been getting so much bigger so quickly, right? Like even if you go back a few years, you didn't even maybe need this, right? But now all of a sudden you need it badly because some of these models take like months to train, even if you have sophisticated, like, uh, you know, huge clusters of GPUs, right? So you, you kind of like must have something like this if you want good performance on individual subtasks. So uh, I'm curious to see if a lot of papers stem off of this if, if it's going to be widely used. Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, one one thing, one direction that seemed to be heading with GPT-4 and, and 5 and onwards is like, if you make it, if you make it bigger and bigger, like the pre-training aspect goes away, right? That I think they're, they're betting on the fact that, you know, um, once the model's, are, are much bigger. Like you, you don't really need to fine tune anymore. Like it's, it's all in the parameters without fine tuning. Uh, so I think you're saying that you can use, um, you can use basically uh, not prefix tuning, but you can use prompt engineering. So if you're, you can, pr instead of, instead of fine tuning 
on a exactly. task. Yeah, it's you can zero just, shot, zero, uh, zero shot, few shot. Or it, yeah, yeah, it's like it's like more like in context uh, where um, you're just giving it examples via the prompt, right? And and as the models uh, have been getting better or you know bigger with um, and also uh, they're they're amenable to longer context lengths, like you know longer context, then perhaps you can afford to um, just just have a complex use prompting. Prompt. Yeah, right. just have a have a prompt and get away with that versus even training Laura. And actually, I think I've seen that um, uh, in in a few examples where actually using something like Laura, um, you know, training Laura gets uh you know worse performance than just using gpt4 with uh with prompting really wow that's that's surprising i i, I haven't i mean i haven't personally done like a exploratory study or anything but just um yeah just like that's what that's what karpathy is predicting in his blog post right like he, he's thinking like you know, 10 years in the future, there's going to be like a quadrillion parameter neural network and, and nobody's going to be training anymore. There's going to be like doing few shot learning or yeah, doing different types of prompting and things like that. Um, Although isn't, isn't the rumor out of the grapevine that GPT-4 actually isn't just a scaled up version of GPT-3, that it's actually a mixture yes, of experts instead? It's a mixture of experts. Yeah. So this this might be this could be like um adapted to a mixture of experts kind of infrastructure right if they maybe if they had Laura for different things they could easily do a mixture of experts with swapping in and out different uh weight weight updates so um so they do a couple of experiments we evaluate downstream performance um, oh yeah, what tasks are they actually looking at? Let's take a look. Different types of things. It's going to be all NLP, but uh, natural language understanding, uh, the glue benchmark, wiki SQL. So they look at SQL queries, summarization. Where are you looking? Over here. Wiki Appendix SQL. C. Appendix C is a good place to look. It's on page 17. All right, data set details. Glue benchmark, wide range of nat natural language understanding, sentiment analysis, question answering. WikiSQL is generate SQL queries. Uh, summarization. Natural language generation. Dart. Entity relationship. So a whole host of different types of tasks. And how does it do? I think uh, it was you know, that table. You, you know, good yeah. a good table is table three. Yeah, right there because you can yeah. see you can see compare you can see Laura compared to adapters to fine tuning, 
this is the E2E NLG challenge. But that's just uh, that's just uh, one data set or something, right? Well, there's uh, what I don't know what the E two E two we just we just it's in the it's in the appendix. It was like it's from the red some natural language processing benchmark from the restaurant domain. Yeah, I mean they have multiple metrics. I think there's the other table that had the multiple data sets. Uh, where was that one? It's not, oh, this is still, this is GPT-3. Right. So this is SQL generation. Yeah. This is summarization. I'm not sure what MNLI is. Well, you know, the interesting thing is that compare the LoRa numbers with the fine tuning numbers. Like you'd think full fine tuning would still be better, right? But because yep. it's it, it's got the full the full rank for the parameters, but actually mm -hmm. it's not. It's not Laura. Laura actually outperforms it. Now is that because there's advantages to so training your approximation is the approximation is beating the thing that's trying to approximate. But is that all? Is that also because training is quicker? Like they can do more epochs and they can. They can do more tuning of hyperparameters, or is it actually just inherently better, even if you do like an apples to apples training? Uh, I mean, you bring a great question. I mean, this is kind of a it's a great question because um, we don't know how much effort was spent into fine tuning, right? Yeah, the, the full fine tuning, right? Right. Um, and by effort, it's it's the things you're talking about, like right. optimization and like hyperparameters, you know, because uh, sometimes you don't even you, you might even use different learning rate for different layers um uh you know if you want to go all out vision. and really and really optimize right yeah correct like in computer vision you know, we do that some you know uh it, it's it's not a, you know an, an anomaly to not to do that so um yeah it would be yeah i guess like how much effort did they do but at the at the end of the day, regardless, it's somewhat competitive with adapters, right? Um, and I, I wonder if they get competitive with. Full I wonder if they get these so. these numbers. If they did all this training themselves, like did they do the fine training themselves, or, or it, it would be more impressive to me. I would think if they got it from like another pub, another paper, right? Because then it's like it's kind of like yeah, a conflict, yeah. conflict of interest if you're. If you're training your yeah, so competing here model. in table three, they actually have it from different papers, right? The, so that, the star ones are from different papers. That's pretty but... that's pretty impressive, right? Because you're yeah. you're beating the soda, you're beating the state of the art result, maybe, you know, that yeah. was already published with your method, right? With a fraction yeah. of the parameters and, and fraction of the fraction time, of additional fraction of the yeah, space everything. Yeah. So I think this speaks to their original hypothesis of like the um, fine tuning happening in intrinsically low rank. So by mm -hmm. just doing the low rank approximation, they are You're training all the something benefit. that's yeah. yeah, and that's it's more efficient. So that's the the speed of point that you brought up. Um, 
and also like it's it's more direct i guess it's less noise like if you're trying to fine tune over everything versus fine tuning over the the i guess kind of similar to the lottery ticket stuff like fine tuning over the the important kernel versus fine tuning over everything maybe <clears throat> yeah i mean the question I raised earlier, I, I, I'm curious if kind of constraining the update to a small subspace actually helps, or if it's more an artifact of being able to tune more thoroughly, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all it, it, it could or also both. be related to um, some of these data sets might be smaller. So when you're when you're when you're training every single parameter, um there might be you know there's 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 definitely more noise right um because like you have this compared to what gpt3 is trained on a small amount of data in the wiki sql or you know some of these uh kind of other um uh uh you know data sets so um perhaps there's like you know the, the curse of dimensionality in terms of like you know, if you constrain it, you're getting uh, some of the important parameters are not changing as much, or they're, you know, changing. Um, you know, in, in basically like, I guess like a less complex way, right? Because it's a low rank. Um, uh, the 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 change can be approximated by like you know a, a low rank approximation. And then the other thing, I guess. Here is if you actually look at their values, it's seventy three point eight versus seventy four. Um, presumably, they only ran this once for obvious reasons. Like we actually don't know uh, what the variance is. Yeah, that's and that's always a uh, yeah. I mean, always, like, uh, the yeah. statistics is always an important point because you know over several random seeds, we might see you know half a percentage point or something. Is. They actually report some here. WikiSQL fluctuation. Oh, there you go. Half a percentage minus, point. Half a percentage. So these are within kind of the fluctuation. Yeah. Yeah. So they did have a variance. So uh yeah. So yep. they did run it multiple times. Yeah. I guess so I guess you could because of these again, these are smaller data sets, relatively speaking. So these are some experiments that they did. We talked about what, uh, which weight matrices and the transformer they applied it to. Where is this lab, Farouk? It's a, uh, um, uh, it's it's an MSR lab. What do you mean? I mean, where is it? Is it in? Uh, oh, where are these authors located? Yeah. yeah, is it in Redmond or do they have like other? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have. I mean. Um, they have MSR has multiple locations, right? So uh, they have a big one in Redmond, they have one in New York, um, Cambridge in Asia. In figure three, direction corresponding to the top singular vector overlaps significantly between rank eight and rank 64, while others do not. Providing explanation of why R equals one performs quite well in our downstream tasks from GPT-3. 
So when they do singular value decomposition, they're seeing that the top singular vector looks similar regardless of the size of R. But the other yeah. ones are pretty different. Saying that the, the actual dimension of the subspace is close to one. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting experiments. So, so well, what does that mean? So, okay, let's say that the dimensionality is close to one. That means that you can represent the change matrix, the, the change in your weights. By a vector. By a single vector or no, by a cross product of uh, one vector with another vector, right? Uh, or right, yeah. Right, right. Two, two um, vectors, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Um, that would produce a pretty uninteresting matrix, right? If it's just a cross product of two vectors, would that be, what would that matrix look like? The outer product of two vectors? I mean, it, it will. Symmetric. It depends on the values of the vectors, whether it's going to be symmetric or not. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, you, you're going to see, you're going to see patterns though. Like you, you'll see yeah. like, like the second row might be, will be the same multiple. Each entry in the second row will be the same multiple of each entry in the first row. So, stuff like that. So, so yeah, yeah. Effectively, each, each row or each column is a multiple of, of, of one of the vectors, right? So we're yeah. basically saying you can take a single vector, like one of those vectors, and some constant times that vector can represent the change in the weights of that column of your of right of of your of your weights. So so really, what that's saying is like all the weights, I guess, can be they're only going to change by some constant times a vector, constant. right? Well, by constant we mean some parameter, right? It's it's it, you're just stretching that vector. Uh... Yeah, so it's a pretty, I don't know, pretty pretty constrained delta w. If you think about it that way, for for r equals one, e yeah, e e each each weight dimension. So it's it's. It, it, it's not quite what I said. Like it's not like a constant times the vector for all the weights, but it's like for a row of the weights, you know, uh, it's a constant times the vector. It's constrained, but it's justifiably constrained. Like they're there, it, it works. <laughs> yep. Yep, pretty cool. cool. All right. I think that covers a lot of stuff. It's the one hour mark. Um, any, any last comments you guys want to add? Uh, no, I thought it was a cool paper. Yeah.
there are a lot of um, kind of papers that came out of this too, right? For like the Q, Q Laura. Q Laura, where they combine this. Uh, I think they still do. I think they do do Laura on a lot. They might even do it on all the parameters, or they do it on uh, something like that. Like at least all the self attention parameters, um, and then they combine it with quantization to make this even more uh, efficient um, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, fine tuning or when it comes to training and inf inference. And then um, there's also the LoRa hub, uh, which basically expands on this and, and trains a bunch of these, um, a bunch of different LoRa's and aggregates them in some way. Uh, I, I, I'm not completely familiar with that, but I, I've heard of oh, it. Oh yeah, so that has to do with like the easiness of swapping in and out the, the Delta Ws, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically what they, I think what they do is, let's say you're given a new task and you don't know, you don't want to train a LoRa on it, right? Because if you're gonna, if you want to train a LoRa on it, you have to go in, you have to optimize it or whatever. But let's say you have a bunch of LoRa's that have already been trained. Like let's say you have ten tasks, you've trained ten LoRa's already, and they they exist, right? Um, but then now you're given an eleventh task or a twelfth task, right? Instead of training, instead of training a new LoRa, can you use the ten LoRa's in some manner? So that you don't have to do that, like that's kind of I think the premise around it. Um, oh, that's cool. Or, or the or like the motivation around it, yeah. So it's like, can we? Yeah, so it's like you know, can we? Can you? Can we share a bunch of these LoRa modules to do well on some unseen task or something like that? Yeah. Hmm. I think that's kind of the premise uh, around it. Nice. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Lots of interesting techniques coming out of this and. A, a good good tool to have in your toolbox, I think, for when you need to fine tune uh, billions of parameters model, <laughs> um, you might you might be able to reach it reach into your toolbox and and uh, get a good A and B matrix that have low rank and uh, save yourself some time twenty percent of uh, speed up twenty five percent time seventy five percent speed up anyways. Um, great episode, guys. Um, uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, this was our first kind of experimental transition into the, the video uh, area. Um, hopefully you all uh, like it. Um, please, if you like it, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, subscribe to our podcast, Arcmax FM, um, and hope to see you all next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.